Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's going to be kind of a treat. We have, uh, um, would, Jeff, if you want to come on up. Uh, Jeff uh, Otto is uh, my friend and your friend. Uh, he has been a part of the Grove since it started, and he's actually right now exploring a call to ministry. He attends a seminary called the Pacific Evangelical School of Ministry, uh, which is Pessim, and so they're the pessimists, which they didn't, they didn't think that through. Uh, it's where I went to school and uh, where Jeff is going to school right now. And so part of what we get to do as a, as a community uh, is develop uh, the future and develop just as far as expanding our ministry. And Jeff is going to bring uh, the scripture to us this morning and uh, teach us. And it's kind of a great opportunity to hear uh, what God is doing in his life and what God's doing uh, in our lives as a community. So let's pray together before he starts. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Um, Jesus, we just thank you for uh, what you're doing in Jeff's life. We thank you for your continual call on, on all of us. And uh, sometimes you call some of us to changes in the middle of our lives. And, and, uh, and we just seek to be obedient to you, God. And so this morning, we pray that uh, the words that Jeff's bring us would really uh, communicate to hearts today. Uh, and that we would know uh, your spirit through your word. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, James. All right, am I... Can you hear me? Are we good? All right. So, as James said, we're continuing in the book of Matthew. We've just finished chapter 6. We're going to go on to chapter 7. Slight change. In chapter 6, we had uh, these teachings that kind of flowed together. In chapter 7, we get into more like a wisdom saying kind of thing. It's going to be a little choppier, but it's still really good stuff. Uh, We've gone from... Uh, before Jesus was talking about fasting, he was talking about treasures, he was talking about worry. Now we're going to go into more of a wisdom saying thing where we're going to get into you know, some more prohibitions, but he's still talking about sin, and that's what we're going to deal with today. Uh, we're going to do the judging things. I'm, I, I love doing this, this passage because I think probably next to the text of the Lord's Prayer, this is probably the most quoted passage in the Bible by people that aren't even Christians, right? You know, you can't judge me. It says so in your book. So stop being a hypocrite. And I think a lot of us, too, we don't really, nobody gets past 7-1, you know, don't judge or you too will be judged, and then, then we just, we lose the rest of that context. So that's what we're going to talk about today, talk about how we can apply that to our lives and uh, not just go around trying to not judge under our own power. So let me, let's remind, let me remind us of our context here. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is kind of laying out the kingdom of God. This is how it's going to be. This is how people who follow me are going to live. And he's basically taking the world and turning it upside down from what people already know, from what the, the Jewish people already know. He's telling them to, to, to love the people that hate them. He's talking that the, the merciful won't be downtrodden by the powerful, but they're going to receive mercy. And all these things he's, he's telling people goes against what they've always learned and the way that this culture has lived. So that's the context that we're in. Um... He challenges us, I would say, to see things from God's perspective when he talks about loving those that hate, or loving our enemies and praying for those that hate us. We know God can do that. He created us. He loved us all. A whole lot harder for us. And of course, the Jews certainly had their enemies, the, uh, the Persians and the, the Sumerians. They had lots of people, excuse, the Samaritans, lots of people that they could certainly hate, and they did. And Jesus is coming along saying, you know what? They're children of God just as much as you are. You need to love them. You need to pray for them too. Turning the world that they knew up on its head. So let's go ahead and get to our text, and then we'll dive into it a little bit. This is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. This is from the ESV, uh, English Standard Version. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we can kind of divide this into the don't judge, and then we can go into the hypocrite thing. <coughs> in, uh, excuse me. So basically, Jesus is warning against inappropriate judging, and he comments on appropriate evaluation. So we're going to divide those two things into, in half. First, we want to talk about what Jesus didn't mean. Because again, we, so we're not supposed to judge others, so does that mean we're just supposed to condone everything? And you know, there's lots of hot topics in the news that, that Christians are dealing with, that our, our culture is dealing with uh, in general. So are we just supposed to lay back and take everything? Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying it's wrong to judge sin. And we've certainly got a lot of examples of that in the, uh, in the Bible. <clears throat> no, those are the woes. <clears throat> From where we just came through, uh, chapter 5, before we got to chapter 6, Jesus talked about oaths, he talked about adultery, he talked about retaliation, loving our enemies, almsgiving, prayer, fasting, and a bunch of other things. And he addressed how our sinful nature makes us want to do things one way, like the Pharisees and the scribes, right? He's always pointing them out as hypocrites. You know, when they go and they, they give their alms and they give their, their donation to the to the temple, you know, the, the bells go off and there's a confetti cannons and, you know, uh, sparklers and all that kind of thing. They want people to see how great and religious they are. And when they pray, they stand on the street corner and they do it really loud so that everybody can see what a religious person they are. And Jesus is saying, these are temptations that we have to, hey, look at me. And he's telling us, no, what we're not going to do, we're not going to do that. We're going to do these things in secret because God sees everything. And if you do it here and now and you want people to see what a great religious person you are, now you've, that's it. You've had your reward. As opposed to when we go and we do these things in secret, as it says, and our Father in heaven sees, he will reward us. So kind of like we talked about previously, you can store up your treasures on earth and have everybody think you're a great guy and go to hell anyway, or you can store up your treasures in heaven and go to heaven and not burn forever. <clears throat> uh, Jesus is also not saying that it's wrong to confront sinners. And here's where we, you know, a little bit dicey here. You don't want to just run out on the, you know, you notice how a lot of street preachers don't have a lot of converts. <clears throat> because going to non-believers and telling them how horrible and sinful they are and that they're going to burn in hell forever just doesn't really, you know, bring the masses to you. Uh, however, again, this doesn't mean that we're not going to be discerning and it doesn't mean that we're going to condone things that aren't Christian or we're not going to condone things that Christ didn't teach. Because he would confront sinners. In Matthew 23, when we get there, he really lays it out to the scribes and Pharisees. These are like called the woe passages. And I'm just going to read a couple of them. <clears throat> woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside also may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of bones and of the dead and of all kinds of filth. 
So you also, on the outside, look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we can't say that Jesus didn't call out the sinners, and we know that he liked to certainly uh, point to the scribes and the Pharisees as the people to not be like. He, he tells his people, respect the religious stuff that they're teaching, because that is part of what they do, but don't be a hypocrite like them. Don't be a whitewashed tomb where everything looks good on the outside, but inside it's all junked up, full of sin, and you're not really helping anybody. You're enforcing these standards that you know nobody can, that you know nobody can meet. Uh, so Jesus isn't the only one that confronts sin. There's a lot of examples in the New Testament of the early church calling out believers who were living in sin. And if you remember when we talked about the uh, Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians we're going to look at, those people were all jacked up in that church and doing all kinds of crazy things and being proud of it. Coming to church, talking about how they're sleeping with their, their stepmom and, and all kinds of yucky stuff. We'll get into that a little bit. Did Paul condone that? No, he didn't. He called them out on their sin and called them to repent from it. Uh, and so this is a, this is a, a short passage. This is where Peter... The Apostle Peter, this is after the death and resurrection of Christ, is in the book of Acts, chapter 5, where Peter calls sinners out. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with the wife's knowledge, and, and with the wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the Apostle's feet. So they sold some property, and as in the early church, they would sell property, and they would give all that money to the church to be distributed to the poor. So they sold this, and they said, instead of saying, oh, we got, you know, tell them we only got 700 or whatever, oh, we got 500, and they kept some back for themselves. <clears throat> Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. It actually says such and such a price in the Bible. Isn't that weird? <clears throat> and she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? So again, he's calling them out on this, this uh, conspiracy they've, they've come up together, which isn't really a conspiracy. They're just holding back money and saying, Yep, we only got 500, but we're really keeping 200 for ourselves. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. So the message there isn't to be afraid of the church, but again, we're looking at judging others and being discerning about sin. And so what we see here, this is exactly what Peter's doing. These are folks that are in the church. He's not going out to non-believers because they're just really not receptive. If you're not buying into the Bible, you're not going to respond to a call to it. But these are church members who Peter is calling to repentance. This is how we do things. You don't need to, to lie and to be living in sin in the church. So today, before we go home, everybody that's sinned is going to die. No. <clears throat> uh, so that was Peter. Let me read you a short uh, from Galatians to 11. This is 
now, now, now Peter is the one being called out on his sin by the Apostle Paul. And I think we covered this passage in one other uh, lesson a while back. But it's always a fun one to read because uh, Paul really takes Peter to the task. If you have, uh, this is this particular section of my Bible is called Paul Rebukes Peter at Antioch. It, depending on what translation you have in the publisher, a lot of times you'll have these little headings at the beginning of things like, you know, adultery, da 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 Understand those aren't a part of the original text. The original text was like, it didn't even have spaces between the words. Of course, it was written in Greek, and it was all just mashed together. So if you want to talk about the inspired word of God and every bit of Scripture's word breathed, these little chapter headings, those aren't part of the original, but they help us, and they help us to communicate with others. So we talk about the story of the, you know, whatever, the unforgiving slave or the story of the, the parable of the seeds and that kind of thing. That's not what those things were originally labeled in the Bible. Those are things we have come up with to help us talk about the stories. So anyway, that was an aside. That's for free. <clears throat> okay, Paul rebukes Peter at Antioch. This is, again, early church, the church at Antioch. But when Cephas came into Antioch, and that's another name for Peter, this is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. And again, that's, that was something new to the church. Before Jews weren't supposed to even go into a Gentile's house. That was unclean. And not only is Peter going in there, but he's actually eating stuff there. And again, so then you run the risk of maybe swallowing a piece of pork or something like that, that those filthy Gentiles eat, but the Jews don't. So, but Peter is doing this because he is trying to convert these people. He's taking the gospel to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. But after they came, these people, he drew back, Peter drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision factor. In other words, Jewish purity, you're not supposed to, to uh, go into Gentiles or, or associate with them, go into their houses, excuse me. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how could you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? That sounds like a tongue twister. But anyway, that's Paul taking Peter to task for saying, you know, you're preaching one thing, that yes, we're going to the Gentiles, yes, they're going to be included in the other church, but then when these hardline Jews show up, you pretend like you're not associating with those people and you're being false. So Paul's calling Peter out in front of everybody, as he says, to recognize that sin and to repent from that. Luckily, he didn't strike him dead like we had before. All right, let's go on to our... So we're talking about what Jesus didn't mean. In our next slide... Uh, again, this is going to be from Matthew. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. We'll get to this in chapter 18, but I want to include it here because it talks about sin and judging and being discerning. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so let's go on to the next slide. Let's break that down into bullet points because that's how my mind works. <clears throat> so what is Jesus saying? There? How are we? And when he talks about a brother, he's talking about a fellow believer. And we'll see that through all these examples I'm going to give that we're going to look at in Corinthians that Paul wrote. When we are judging others, when we are calling them to correction, when we are using discernment to see that, okay, that's something, that's, that's a sin, that's something they're doing, we're talking about fellow believers. We're not talking about going out there 
into the world and trying to convict non-believers of their sin. Because again, that doesn't really work. Now, some of the apostles, they did that. But this is something, Jesus is giving us a different standard because times are different, people are different. Here's what still applies today that Jesus taught us 2,000 years ago. So we're to try correction one-on-one. So what does that mean? We're not going to do it doesn't mean we're going to go gossip and whatever. You know, the old, you don't want to really gossip. So you go, you know, I just wanted to bring you this prayer request. You know, Shelly and her husband, they've got this thing going on, da-da-da-da. So I just wanted you to be in prayer about that. Say that's like kind of a sneaky way of of sharing gossip under the guise of being a a prayer request. Jesus tells us to go one-on-one with a person and say, hey, you know what, this this, extramarital affair that you're having, people are aware of it. And that's got to stop. We don't want that in the church. You need to take care of that. Is that judging others? What you're doing is you're discerning and you're calling a fellow believer to clean up his spiritual life. So we can think of that as judging. We can think of that as discernment. We can think of it as correction. So if that fails, if one-on-one doesn't work, ask one or two others to help you. So you get a couple of your friends from the church. You notice how everything works in community? Everything is together. When, as we go through this, we see that it rarely is one person doing anything. God himself is community, right? Three in one, the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself is a community. And when the church works at its best, we're working in community together. <clears throat> Just like James was talking about trying to get more folks to come in and help set up. The church, as Paul talks about, the body of Christ, every part is important. And every believer who's in here is a part of this body. And if some parts aren't working well... That can affect the rest of the body, as you know. If you've ever had a kidney stone, if you've ever had a migraine or something, that affects everything. The other stuff doesn't go on working at 100% when something else is only working at 50%. Same is true of the church. The church is a living body. It has parts. And that's what Jesus left us. And it works in a certain way. And when you have sin in there, like a virus, like a bacteria, that starts messing stuff up. Just like when you get sick, you get a cold, you get the flu. There's bad stuff in the body that needs to be purged out of there. So you bring a couple others. You try to reason with your friend to stop flaunting his extramarital affair or whatever it is that you're, you're calling him out on and trying to correct him on. So if that doesn't work, you bring it to the attention of church leaders. Jesus says, bring it to the church. Okay, look, you know, if, if you're not aware, we've got this problem, da-da-da-da-da. Again, are you trying to condemn this person? Because when we talk about judging, a lot of times there's this element of condemnation. If we make a judgment about somebody, we say they're such and such or this and that, somehow there's this element of condemnation. And therefore, that's bad, is what we're saying. So he's like this, she's like that, and that's bad. So we've judged them and we've condemned them. What we're trying to do within the body of Christ is not so much condemn, but correct. Because if you're a believer, you should probably already know the sin that you're, that you're doing, that whatever you're doing is wrong. Hopefully, you're working on cleaning that up. But if not, and it's actually, you know, you're flaunting it like they were in uh, the Corinthian church, that's something that we want to come together and take care of as a group. And so Jesus kind of laid out the steps. Try this, try this, try this. <clears throat> and if that works, he says, get rid of him. Shun the sinner. Oh my gosh. Does that mean we're giving up on people? <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is, you can't be a part of the body if you're going to be a rotten part of the body. So yeah, if you're not being a good believer, if you're bringing bad stuff into the church, if you're infecting the body with things that makes it not function, then yeah, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to kick it out, and we're going to leave that to God. Because again, we're not really going, Jesus isn't saying we're going to go and proselytize to the unbelievers. And obviously, if somebody is within the body of Christ, and they're not behaving the way they should, and they're infecting the body of Christ, so it doesn't work as it should, obviously, you want to get that out of there. Hopefully, it will heal and come back. We're going to leave that part to God. Jesus doesn't address this right here in what we're talking about today. 
Uh, next slide. <clears throat> Still talking about what Jesus did mean. Rights, responsibilities, and pointing fingers. So rights. No one has the right to nitpick others. So here we're talking about the speck in your eye. Let me help you get that out of there when you've got the big plank. James was pointing out, there's a funny, if, uh, Mark Driscoll, you go on YouTube and, 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 and uh, search for Mark Driscoll uh, plank uh, splinter. He's, he actually brings this big old plank uh, up on stage when he's talking. It's very funny because Jesus is using some hyperbole here. Hyperbole meaning great exaggeration. You saw that cartoon I had before where the guy's got the thing sticking out of his eye and the other guy's got like this whole tree stump. <clears throat> so no one has the right to nitpick others when they have not dealt with their own glaring errors. So you got the guy with the beam trying to pick the spinner out of another guy's eye. Notice that he's trying to help. He's not making fun of the guy for having a splinter in his eye. He's not calling him out. He's trying to help, which is what Christ has called us to do, to do correction, to bring the body into good health. However, if you've got a bunch of junk that you're not dealing with, and you're kind of <laughs> have all these microbes and, and viruses flying off you while you're going around, you're not going to be very good at, at trying to help somebody else clean up their own spiritual life when you're leaving muddy footprints behind with yours. So responsibility. Once you've cleaned up your own spiritual life, help others clean up theirs. And again, that's just something that gets dropped out of the don't judge unless you be judged. You hypocrite, how dare you tell me that I'm doing such and such? Haven't you read your own book, the Bible? Well, again, if we read past Matthew 7, 1, we find out that once you've got your own junk cleaned up, and again, we're not going to be perfect, right? God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does ask us to try, right? We strive for Christ's likeness, and we know we're never going to get there, but we try anyway. You're never going to be a perfect parent to your children, but you try, right? <clears throat> so once you've got your own spiritual life cleaned up, and you're running on all eight cylinders, you have a responsibility as a part of the body of Christ to help bring others up to that. Just like the body when something is sick, the immune system gets in there and f tries to fight that off. The good stuff tries to bring what's wrong. They try to heal it and bring it back into the body so everything's functioning like it should be. Don't point a finger, lend a hand. I love those little things that you can get, you know, tattooed on the side of your foot or something like that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't go, hey, you're all jacked up. You need to say, hey, I see that you've got a problem. Why don't we sit down and talk about this because I've been through this and I think I can give some pointers. If not, I know some, some friends that can help you with this issue. It's about helping, not condemning. That's what Jesus did mean when he was talking about this. What do I have next? <clears throat> I love Facebook. You get such interesting things off of it. <clears throat> so Jesus, the, the near context that Jesus is talking about, if you haven't noticed... Judge, unless you be judged, is simply a restatement of the golden rule. It comes from Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Matthew 5.7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What you give is what you get. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. All that is kind of a restatement of the golden rule coming from the Old Testament. What Jesus does, because he is the co-joining of the Old Testament with the New Testament. We're moving from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. We're moving from law and punishment into grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And that is part of what Jesus is, that's the big thing he's pushing in the Sermon on the Mount as we turn the world upside down. We're not going to point a finger and condemn and stone people. What we are going to do is we're going to 
help them with their faults, we're going to correct them, and we're going to give them grace and mercy and try to heal them rather than condemning and killing them. And just like Jesus says, so I was like, bro, do you want someone to do that to you? (laughs) Well then, like, don't do it to them. Too bad the middle schoolers aren't here. All right, so what we've got, this is kind of like last week. Don't worry, Jesus tells us. Okay, okay, I'm not not worrying. Oh, and don't judge too. Okay, in my own strength, I'm going to do all this stuff. And like James said, how do you apply this? Okay, I'm just going to not worry. You tell your kids, hey, just stop thinking about it. If they could, they would have already done that. So this is, again, another hard one that's kind of difficult to, okay, how do I stop judging others? I just, you know, tattoo that on my hands or I'm reminded of it every day. What I want us to do is look at how the Apostle Paul applied this. And we're going to look at some, a passage from Romans and a couple passages from Corinthians where he talks about, he tells the church members how to apply this judging thing because we see it's so easy to misapply and think that we need to point fingers and accuse and condemn. And that's not at all what Christ was teaching. So there's the Apostle Paul teaching somewhere. So from Romans 2, this is 1 through 6. I put the the, because uh, I'm a note-taker, bullet-point kind of guy. So I put the scriptures up there if you just want to write those down, because you're not going to be able to write all this down. I don't know if you're going to be able to keep up. But if you want to go home and you want to dig deeper into judging, I put, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm sharing these scriptures so that you can write those down and go home and take this even further than I did. Like James said, this isn't the final word up here. This is, this is teaching time. <clears throat> and again, I like this, because Paul's really throwing the smack down to the Romans. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God falls rightly on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard, uh, because of your hard and impenetrable heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Even in the ESV, that sounds kind of King James's. So let's break that down into bullet points. So what's Paul, what is Paul telling us about judging? We have no excuse for judging others. Again, if we get past Matthew 7.1, we find out that it's not about judging. It's about discerning. It's about helping people. <clears throat> By judging others, we're storing up wrath for ourselves. What you give is what you get. God is watching at all those times that you're condemning when you're pointing a finger and you're not lending a hand. In judging others, we condemn ourselves because we too are sinners. Again, get your act cleaned up before you try to go and clean someone else up. When you're all muddy from going into the field or whatever, you can't clean up your kids when you still got mud dripping off of you. Simple analogy. God's righteous judgment falls on hypocrites. There it is. We assume that God's kindness and forbearance will overlook our sin. We love to make excuses for ourselves. We love to apply things to everyone else and have our own standard. And this is what... Well, this is what Jesus is talking about with the measures. <clears throat> so we assume that, well, you know, God will overlook that because he forgives us. Well, what Paul points out is God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance, not to overlook sin. 
God's not trying to give you a free pass. He's calling you to repentance. Yes, I see that you're sinning, and I know that you're aware of it. And rather than stoning you or condemning you, I am going to hope that those who follow me are going to lend a hand, and they're going to heal you and help you deal with that. All right, next. This is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. <clears throat> this is again Paul. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself not to be judged, or is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a tough one. That one's got some weird stuff in it. So let's break that down into bullet points. As I said earlier, non-believers, what he's saying is non-believers aren't going to accept judgment that is religiously based. If you just go out to the people on the street and try to hellfire and brimstone them and call them out on their sins, it just doesn't really work well, does it? Again, Paul is taking what Jesus said. He's applying it when he talk about brothers, the word brethren, that King James stuff, he's talking about fellow believers, our brothers and sisters here in the body of Christ. Believers look at all things through the lens of Christ's teaching and reject worldly standards. We've talked about, uh, Christ told his disciples, be in the world, not of the world. So it doesn't mean we're going to hide in here and protect ourselves from all those sinners. No, we're going to go out there, but we're going to keep the mud off of us while we share the gospel message. <clears throat> we are judging things by God's standards, looking at things through the lens of what Christ has taught, which is mercy and grace, rather than the world's standards. Um, you know, pick whatever you want. Let's, let's hate Bill Gates because he's so successful, but yet he's lived out this American dream that we all chase out of the other side of our mouths. Worldly standards. Believers are led by the Holy Spirit. How do we look at things through the lens of what Christ taught us? When we give our lives over to him, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That gives us discernment. That guides us. That's that little niggle in the back of your brain that tells you, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this because that's bad. <clears throat> All right, next. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Excuse me. So let's break that down into bullet points. Worldly standards and judgments are of no concern to a believer. Again, we need to look at things through the lens of what Christ, Christ taught us, not how the world is teaching us to condemn, to, to judge, to shun. <clears throat> we trust in God as the one and ultimate judge, and we don't judge ourselves. We trust in him because, as Paul tells us, Christ will return to judge people's hearts and reward them accordingly. We don't know what people's hearts are. We see actions. So you've kind of got the, you know, paving the road to hell with good intentions, Maybe somebody had good intentions, things turned out bad, now you're going to condemn them for being a whatever. Only the Lord knows the heart of a person. The Bible tells us that. That's why we rely on him to be the ultimate judge at the end and not ourselves because he sees that big picture. And that's part of what we're going to try to strive for is seeing things the way God does. Again, we'll never get there, but we're going to try. Next passage, 1 Corinthians 5, 2-5. 
Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He was talking about sin. For although absent in mind, I am present in spirit. This is, again, Paul talking. And as if present, I am already pronounced, I, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Can't wait to do that at Trick My Trunk. That's kind of a difficult passage too. Paul talks about when my spirit is there with you, so is he like by locating or, or what's going on there? We're not going to get into that because even Bible commentators, that's, that's one of those passages we kind of struggle with. What, what is he saying here? Uh, so let's boil that down to one bullet point. Allow unrepentant sinners to go their own way and trust in God to bring them back. I mentioned that earlier. If you've talked to them one-on-one, if you've brought a couple friends, if you've brought them to the church leaders and they're intent on going their own way, let them go. And we trust that God, who has the ultimate plan for their lives, will be able to heal them and bring them back so that we can bring them back into the body of Christ. Uh, what do we have next? <clears throat> Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I'm gonna, I'm, so, Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I'm not going to read that to you because I'm reading a lot up here. <clears throat> this is Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he's telling them to stop bragging about their sexual immorality and doing all these other things that the city of Corinth was, was, the city of Corinth was famous for. It was a real sin bin, and it's amazing that Paul even got a church going there and, and kept it going. So Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Uh, oh, wait, can we go on to the next one? Da, 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 go on to the next one. <clears throat> yes, there we go. Don't be concerned about judging non-believers. They are God's concern. Already talked about that. Don't associate with unrepentant sinners. That might sound kind of judgmental, but again, if somebody's unrepentant and they're intent on doing what they're doing... As a believer, we are to shun that person. And for, uh, John tells us that in his first epistle as well. If false teachers come, don't even eat with them, don't even let them in the door. Remove unrepentant sinners from the church, as Paul says. <clears throat> all right, next slide. So what? Now that we've done all that, how are we going to apply this to our lives? Again, I'm going to stop worrying, I'm going to stop judging. <clears throat> What does that look like? That's, a, I, you know, that's the, pos- the, the, the uh, popular phrase now. What would it look like if we stopped judging? Let's unpack that. That's the other popular phrase. <clears throat> As we had in last week's lesson, right towards the end, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So rather than doing these things in our own strength and going, okay, I'm going to do this, honestly, what we have to simply do is give this over to God. We pray about this. And as we do that and follow his leading, he's going to take care of all this stuff. And you will find yourself being less judgmental and less worrisome, etc. Okay, so application. I'm going to leave you with three powerful images for you to remember. I think it's easier for us to, instead of reminding ourselves to stop an ingrained habit, to learn a new one that counteracts that one. So first takeaway thought. Deal with your own sins first. And if you've seen uh, The Passion of the Christ, you recognize this picture from the, uh, the story of the adulteress, the woman caught in adultery, and the religious leaders bring her to Jesus. Again, they're trying to trap him so that they can arrest him and, and have him killed. And they say, the, mo- the law of Moses says that you know, someone caught in adultery should be stoned. What do you say, teacher? And they know that they've got him trapped because the Jews were not allowed 
to do capital punishment under the Roman law. Remember, that's why they brought Jesus to Pilate. They said, putting someone to death is, is forbidden to us. That's why we're bringing them to you. So if Jesus says, kill her, he's ignoring the Roman law, or excuse me, he's uh, ignoring the Mosaic law, and he's siding with the Romans. But if he says, spare her, now he's violating the Mosaic law. So they've got him trapped. So what he says instead is, let you who is without sin cast the first stone at her. And being convicted of their sin, they all walked away. They realized that you can't clean up someone else's spiritual life, you can't condemn them and have any sort of impact until you've dealt with your own stuff and got yourself all cleaned up. All right, next slide. Oh, it's a kitty. It's a kitty. He's looking at his reflection. What does he see? It's kind of dark. He sees a lion. The kitten sees his inner lion. One of the ways that we can stop judging others, other than going, I'm going to stop judging others, I'm going to stop judging others, is to see God in others. The Bible tells us that we're made in his image. There's that little spark of his divinity within each of us, within me, within you, in Adolf Hitler, in Charles Manson, in Idi Amin, and all those other, other evil people in history. Looking at things from God's perspective, he sees us, he sees his children, he sees that, sees that little piece of him in us, and he loves us for that. Unconditionally, no matter how evil or nasty we are, no matter how good we are, as we try to emulate Christ and the way he extended grace and mercy and love to people, we need to try to strive and see that everyone is just like us. I've got my sins, you've got yours, they've got theirs, but no matter how messed up you get, God still loves each and every one of us, and we should see that in others. And remember, okay, no matter how bad he's, he's doing, she's doing, God still loves them just as much as he loves me. I need to remember, they've got that same divine spark from him in them that I have in me. See God in others, and then you won't be so quick to pass judgment. Last image I want to leave you with. <clears throat> Seek God's perspective. Again, I pulled this off of Facebook. <clears throat> you know, you can say what you want about Facebook. You can, you, I know a friend who said the only reason he does Facebook is because he's kind of doing a ministry there. It's one of my fellow uh, students in ministry school. And he's always, he'll do his daily devotions and then he'll just start shooting stuff up on Facebook. Quotes, thoughts that he's had. I find it very inspirational. So, anyway, Facebook. I love this. <clears throat> we want to Seek God's perspective when we look at things, when we look at people. Do not judge, says God, because you don't know what storm I've asked her to walk through. And I love that because when I saw this, I felt convicted because we do. We look at people and we think, why in the world would he do that? Why would she do that? Well, we don't have God's perspective. We don't know what's, we, sometimes people will be distressed and say, well, you know what, you don't know what's going on in her life, so don't be so quick to judge. And that's absolutely what he's saying here. You know, that lady that is always coming into church late, and her kids are always kind of bedraggled, and you think, you know, that's just really not the way we need to come to church. You know, being on time is kind of important, and can't you neaten up the kids? I mean, it's like every week you're doing this. Well, what we don't know is that her husband left her and she doesn't have a job because she was a full-time mom. And also, she's caring for her dying mother because they can't afford hospice. Oh, that's where we get the stick, stick your foot in your mouth thing, right? The, uh, she's standing behind me, isn't she? 
because we're not looking at things from God's perspective. We think, hopefully we like to think, that God has this big plan and this big picture for our life, because he does. Well, guess what? He's got it for the guy that you don't like, too. And just as you may be aware that God asks you to walk through certain storms, sometimes he tells you it's coming, sometimes you're just walking through it. But consider, through grace and mercy that you extend to others, that maybe they're just in a bad spot right now. They're doing what God asked them to do, and they're plowing through this. Just like that, that silly little bookmark or whatever, you know, the footprints in the sand. And, you know, God, well, there's, two, there's two sets of footprints, but in the hardest part of my life, there was only one there. Why did you abandon me? God said, I didn't abandon you. I was carrying you. That's why there's only one set of footprints. When people go through those hard times and they're following the Lord, sometimes things on the outside can look bad. And we have a tendency to go, get, get this stuff cleaned up. Why are you so bedraggled? Why is all this stuff going on? Well, consider that maybe... They're doing what the Lord has asked them to do. And that doesn't always look good, acceptable, fancy, whatever, in a worldly way. What we should be doing is supporting, not condemning. So, final thoughts I want to leave you with. <clears throat> Judgment is a condition of the heart. Jesus told us that what goes in a person's mouth does not defile them. It goes through the stomach and passes through the body. It is what comes out of a person's mouth that defiles them because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And so as we look at others, and again, we're not talking about, you know, a judge passing judgment. We're not even necessarily talking about pointing fingers and calling people out. We're talking about how we look at others, how we think about others, and how we relate with them based on how we feel about them, how we perceive them, how we extend grace and mercy to them and think maybe I should help this person rather than shunning them, rather condemning them without even knowing what's going on. <clears throat> Offer correction, not condemnation. You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar or something like that, right? Again, accusing somebody and just leaving them there, not trying to help them, that's not what we're talking about. Offer correction. Hey, let me help you work this out. Let me get someone else to help you work this out if that's what you're willing to do. <clears throat> People need grace not garbage. We've all got enough garbage in our lives, talking about that sin. I've got it, you've got it. I don't need to be throwing more of mine on you, telling you to deal with yours when I'm dragging mine around. Again, Christ taught us grace. Like I said earlier, seek first the kingdom, as, as Jesus said us. You can't do all this stuff on your own strength. You can't stop judging. You can't stop worrying. You can't blah, 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 blah. There's no way to, you know, I'm going to work it out, whatever. With everything, as James was saying last week, if you're a believer and you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you're infilled with the Holy Spirit, go with that. As James has said before, talk to Jesus every day. Pray, read Scripture. And I promise you, your life will change and God will be working in you. You don't have to try to stop worrying. You don't have to try to stop judging. God will change you through what he's doing in your life. And real quickly, I just want to share a personal story. Some of you might know I work for the sheriff's office. I work in the jail. Worked in the jail for three years. Went to a, a nice uh, desk job as a training officer. Now I'm, I'm working back in the jail. When you work in the jail, or even probably on patrol, we have a lot of uh, police officers that work here, it's very easy to become jaded because you work with that same population all the time. And in the jail, you just see them cycling through. The drug addicts, the alcoholics, the, the whatever people that 
just keep making the same bad choices. Very easy to be jaded and condemn them. And before I was a Christian, and before I looked at things through that lens that Christ gives us, that's what I saw. I looked at these people with derision and contempt because they're just flipping idiots. If they would stop doing drugs and they would stop robbing, da-da-da-da-da, stop wasting the life that God gave them and stop sucking down all this taxpayer money, da-da-da-da-da. Point, 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 accuse, accuse, accuse. Very easy to do that. Then I went to the training office. Family came back to church. We've accepted Christ. We're living for him. I go back to the jail seven years later. It's the same people coming through, the ones that haven't died. But what I see now, not through derision and anger and judgment, is I see a whole bunch of broken people living in their sin who have rejected that gift that God gave. And they're no different than me, than you, before we gave our lives to Christ. Theirs is a lot more visible. They're a lot more sunk into what they're doing. But God loves them as much as he loves me. And before, while I would just have these, again, judgment is a condition of the heart. I would just have this derision for these people and just fault find and just, ugh. They're just parasites sucking the life out of society. Now I see that they're no difference different than the sinners and the tax collectors that Jesus sat down and ate with. Because as he said, he didn't, sick, it's sick people that need a doctor, not healthy. He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners, he tells us. And that's who those, that's who I see those, those people as now. Incredibly broken, incredibly lost. And I have much, I, uh, I see them through God's perspective, through that lens. And that doesn't mean that they, you know, we just let them all go because we love them now, you know. Christ tells us to, to, uh, to respect civil authority. You know, they've broken the law. They need to, to do that, to, to pay for their crimes, etc. But looking at it through the lens of Christ, I see that's what they need just as you and I do. They're just got a lot more garbage and stuff going on. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. That's what... When you, when you accept Christ, when you concentrate on the Holy Spirit, when you ask God to just make the desires of his heart the desires of your heart, all that stuff starts falling into place. And I'm not bragging about what a great Christian I am now. I'm saying that God will do that to each of you. And one day you'll, it'll hit, you know, gosh, I'm, why am I being so encouraging? Why am I being, you know, I actually smile at some of the inmates now. Hey, how you doing, you know, instead of just... <clears throat> So, seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. Now, let me pray for you as the band comes up. Lord, thank you for giving us the grace and mercy that you do. Thank you for encouraging us to slow down. We talked about that in our our huddle this morning. James mentioned it. Slowing down and looking at this world that you've put us in through the lens of of the teachings that your son gave us. And we admit, Lord, that we're broken and that we are sinful. And when we admit that, Lord, and we ask you to save us from that, we ask for faith, that you will do that for us, Lord. And I ask for these people here, Lord, I pray for them, that you will give them the courage to just start, to just ask, to just come to you in prayer and say, okay, If you're so great and mighty, show me. I'm giving my life to you. 
I'm asking you to do what your book says, to do what I heard about in church today, to start changing me from the inside so that this garbage starts becoming less and less and the grace starts increasing so that when I'm with others who are just as broken and just as dirty as I am, I have grace and mercy and an open hand to extend to them, Lord, instead of a pointed finger that's covered with garbage. Lord, I ask that you give us all the courage to seek you, give us the courage to give our hearts to you, and ask you to put the desires of your heart into ours. Lord, I know that we're in your hands. I know you're going to go with us as we leave here today, as we do every Sunday. I ask, Lord, that we, we see that spark in others, that we see them as you created them, and that we extend mercy and grace where it needs to be. Just as your son came to earth to do, let that light shine through us, as your scriptures say. Lord, I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and we love you, Lord. Amen. All right, let's stand.